I'd like you to turn with me in the book of Galatians. Don't be look shocked. We're not in Luke anymore now. We're going to be breaking away in Luke, from Luke um, over this holiday period and I'll get back to it when everyone's back from their holidays and that'll be in February. Um, so we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians and a very, very specific little passage which speaks about the reason for Christmas. And I might not look at it, it might not look like it when we start reading, but you need to track with me today because it will become clear, I hope. So Galatians, and we are in chapter 3. I know he says chapter 4 there. We're going to start reading in chapter 3 to get the context. And we'll read through to the end of verse 7 in chapter 4. Now, just before we start reading from this book, the book of Galatians was written to non-Jews who were being put under pressure by Jewish believers, to come back under the law and to start keeping the law plus all the other laws that the Pharisees had brought about. God clearly taught that everyone is to stick to his commands so they weren't absolved from keeping his law, but there was something added here and we're going to be looking at that this morning. We need to be looking at chapter 2, verse 20, to keep it in context. So just look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified as Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so as we look at this reading this morning. Keep that in mind. Let's read from chapter 3, verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions or sins. Till the, the seed, and if you've got a Bible that uses capital letters, you'll, it'll be in capital S there, and it's referring to the Messiah. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor or guardian to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Take note of that verse. I'll read it again. Therefore the law was our guardian to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no long, longer under a tutor. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Take note of that verse. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is now therefore, 
There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, you might have read that with me and thought, what? It's complicated. But it's simple. Let's look at it. You see, when men first walked on the moon, the statement, man walked on the moon, it's a fairly simple statement, isn't it? But underneath that sentence lies a lot of things. There lies years and years and years of doing experiments and failed experiments. There lies years of research. There lies many calculations. And then on a day, Neil Armstrong and his crew landed on the moon. It's simple, but it's complicated. The same when we speak about Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. You've probably heard that, right? I hope you have. Jesus is the reason for the season. It's a simple statement. But underneath it, it's much more complicated. And yet it's simple. We're going to be looking at core verses this morning, and you'll find them in chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. I'll read those two verses again. Listen to these verses. It has everything to do with, with now. Verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now we're going to break that down into the statements that Paul makes as he writes this letter. And I want you to track with me. I'll put those sentences up there for you. And I want you to just go through them with me. There is so much more we can say about this, but I need to keep it as simple as I can for this morning. So firstly, what happens? There is a specific time spoken about here. Our text says, verse 4, when the fullness of the time had come. You see, what's it speaking about here? It's speaking about a predetermined time in God's plan of saving the world. When that specific time had come in God's plan, in other words, the fullness of time had come, then God acted. Now, was He not acting before this? Yes, He is, and He was. He is sovereign God. He is at work in every single aspect of what happens on this earth. But in the fullness of God's plan, at a very specific purpose, very specific time, like a massive big moon project, right? There comes a time when there's launch. God sent His Son. This event was prophesied about in the Old Testament. You can read through the Old Testament from Genesis right straight through and you will find many, many prophecies that have to do 
for the coming. I'm going to read you one only this morning from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. This is what it says. Written hundreds of years before this happened. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, now that's the place of bread. Bethlehem was the place of bread. Ephrata was a very specific Bethlehem. There were many Bethlehems around. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, through you, a little, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Do you see this verse? He says, you, at a very specific little town in Israel, this is said hundreds of years before, from you will come one, who will come from me, the one with a capital O, if you've got a Bible that's written properly, the one with a capital O is speaking about the Messiah, to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, in other words, have been foretold by the prophets, and from everlasting, there's God's sovereign plan. So there, the prophet already says what will happen. And then it was a very specific historical event. There was a date and a time that God had purposed when Jesus was actually physically born in that stable. It was a very specific social time too. You see the Romans had come into Israel. The Pax Romana was in place. The peace of Rome was in place. There was economic and political stability, relatively so. There was Roman administration was in place. There was there were censuses, censuses, censi that were taking place. And records were being kept of all these historical events. The Romans were doing that, you see. They had built the Roman roads, and afterwards the gospel could go out so quickly because of these Roman roads. They had built up systems of communication, and the Greek language was now also historically in place, which was the ideal language to record God's word to men, because it was such an accurate language for the recording. So everything was in place. Had that all happened by fluke? No. God had been putting those building stones in place. It was part of his eternal plan. And so when the fullness of time had come in God's plan, what happens? There's a specific mission. Look at verse 4. God sent forth his son. Launch. God sent himself to this earth. Think about that. He sent his son. Who was his son? His son was the word we see back in Genesis. The one who created everything. He's the second person of the Trinity of the three in one. He's equal to God, and yet for this mission, the Son put himself under the Father in authority. He voluntarily submitted himself because of what had to be done. Philippians says he emptied himself. It means he left his glories behind in heaven, and he became a little wee baby in a manger. God sent himself out from himself. Think of it. So, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. And His Son was a very specific one. He was born of a woman. Now, you're immediately thinking, hang on Calvin, what's special about that statement? Show me someone who hasn't been born of a woman. Alright? Well, yes. But in the context of what I've just said, it's a very, very special statement. Because God sent out Himself. 
The next sentence is, born of a woman. How does that work? You see, Jesus was fully God, but he became fully man at the same time. The Holy Spirit awakened in Mary, the Virgin Mary, and yes, we believe in the virgin birth. I will state that emphatically because many Christians today say they don't. We believe God, through the Spirit, through his word, said, in you will come a Savior. And then he brought that about through his Spirit. And so Jesus was born of a woman, God in flesh, at God's appointed time. And then what happened? Well, he came to a very specific position. He was born under the law, says our next statement. He was born under the law. He was born as a man, a human, under the law. You see, every person that was born up to now, from Adam's time, and from when God had given the law, was born under the law. In other words, they had to keep the law perfectly. God gave them the law, at Ten Commandments, back in Sinai, and He said, I want you to keep the law perfectly. But that's impossible. And that was the point. They could not keep it perfectly. And that's why they had to keep on sacrificing animals to ask for forgiveness. But they were looking forward to the one, the Messiah, who was prophesied about, who would one day come and he would keep the law perfectly. He would be the perfect law keeper. You see, but Jesus was born under the law. He had to keep the law perfectly and he would be judged by that same law. And yet he kept the law Perfectly. And therefore he could be the next bit of the sentence. He could be the one that might redeem those who were under the law. Do you see how it fits together? Because he kept the law perfectly, he could now be the one to free those who were under the condemnation of not keeping the law perfectly. You see, people failed year in, year out to keep this law of God But Jesus then came along and he kept it perfectly. And I'm glad John mentioned that baby. We weren't there. But Jesus didn't sin in anything he did. And so, yes, maybe as he was lying there, he would wait till Mary gave him food. But he kept the law perfectly. He was the only one who could, what's what's the key word there? Redeem those. The word redeem, we don't understand much anymore. He could buy loose from. He could buy back from. It is a term used of slaves. You see, slaves were freed. They were redeemed from being slaves. Someone would come along to the slave market with lots of money and they would say, I want that slave. And I will pay the redemption price. I will pay the buying back price. And so they would pay a sum of money back and they would go along to that slave. They would take the chains off that slave's arms and feet. And then he would go free or he would go with his master. And Christ came to buy us back from the bondage of keeping the law day in, day out, perfectly. But he wouldn't redeem everyone. He would redeem those who wanted to be saved. Those who wanted to come out of slavery. And so I'm afraid it's not a general purpose statement here. Christ came for those who would be saved. Are you one of those? Or are you still in the shackles of having to keep the law perfectly? Otherwise, you will be under God's condemnation. You see, God was the only one who could satisfy the requirements of God. Only Jesus Christ could free us from being 
kept under the condemnation of God. And what is the purpose? Here's the next purpose. So that we might receive the adoption. You see, instead of just freeing us, and instead of just freeing those who trusted in Jesus Christ, he goes one step further. Back to the slave market. Imagine if that person comes and says, I want that slave. And he pays the freedom price. They take the shackles off. And then he turns to that slave and he says, you don't have to come with me. I am adopting you into my family and I am letting you go. You go and do what you want to do. You are now part of my family. Imagine that. You see, it's one step further. God adopted us into his family. You see, up to then, we were by nature children of wrath. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, you are still under a family. You are under the family of Satan himself. And we're not scared to mention his name in this church. We're not scared to say that if you are under Satan's family, you will go to hell one day because that is what God says will happen to you if you don't turn to him and ask to be freed. God came and he freed us out of the slavery to Satan and he made us members of his own family. We are adopted as children of the family of God. But that's not all, like any good ad. Look at this adoption. We are adopted as what? As sons. Now ladies, please pay attention here. It's speaking about you too. Because as sons is a legal term. So I'm afraid you are as son too this morning. It's a legal term. It's not a sexist one. It means a coming of age. In the ancient world, and we're just going to have to just stop, put on pause and do a little bit of history now, alright? Because you need to understand this. In the Roman world or the ancient world, when a Roman boy and a girl turned 14, they had been under a guardian all that time. And it was, a guardian was a special slave that had been assigned to that boy or girl, and they were there to look after that one. They were their guardian. And, in many respects, the boy or the girl would just live with that slave in their own home. Even by rights, they were children of their father. In practice, they were under guardianship. And so the slave would decide what they would eat. The slave would decide when they would get taught. And the slave would do the teaching many times. If they wanted to go out, they couldn't go out without the slave being there with them, the guardian. It was actually an honorary position as a slave in someone's family. And at 25 years of age, then they would come out under another person there called a trustee, which meant that they could now sign documents as well. All right? But until then, they were under the guardianship of someone else. The Jews have the same thing at 12. When they have their bar mitzvah, then the Jewish boy becomes a man. And today, I don't know if they still do it here, but you turn 21, seems to be getting earlier and earlier. In America, it's 16 now. But 21, we used to get the key. You're now an adult. And you now need to find your own home. Until then, legally, until they turned, until they became a son, they were, there was a, there was a legal term for it, they were an heir de jure. They were an heir by right only, an heir by law, but not in practice. Yes, they had the right to be a son, but in practice, they were under the slave. They were under guardians. 
Jews were under direct under the direct and absolute control of their fathers. What their fathers said had to happen. Romans were under a, a house manager or under this guardian slave. But at a specific day determined by the father, they would have a day of sonship. And this day of sonship was really special. It was a Roman at the Roman ceremony. The, the little boy of, 12, of fourteen would bring all his toys that he played with his whole toyhood. Uh, sorry, boyhood with toys. He would bring all his toys, and they would have a special sacrifice there, and all the toys would get burnt and given back to the gods. And at the Jewish, uh, sorry, before I get to the Jewish. Paul speaks about this. He says, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. Do you understand that now? I did away with childish things when I became a man. All my toys were offered up. But that's not all. They also got the special toga, a cloak. And it was called the toga virilis. Now, we get our word virility from there. I don't want to explain too much about that here. It means you come of power. He used to get his toga virilis from his father. And also, he was then declared, not just heir de juris, but you now become an heir de facto. An heir in fact. You become the heir now. And the father used to, in the ceremony, come and take a ring off his finger and put it on his son. And he said to him, you are now my son in fact. Now you can make decisions on behalf of the family. Now you are my son in the eyes of society. Now you come into all the privileges and all the legal responsibilities of being a son of this family. Do you see the difference? Now, Paul says in this passage, this complicated passage we've looked at, that the law is a bit like that. In the Old Testament before Jesus came, we were under the guardianship of the law. We had to obey what the Lord's, the law said. The law was like our guardian looking after us on behalf of the Father. But when Jesus Christ came, we got a new status. Jesus died. He kept the law perfectly. He died. And then He gave us a new status. If we put our trust in Him to say, you are now no longer to keep the law perfectly, I will keep the law perfectly for you. You are now my son. You fall under my family. You see what Jesus did? When he died for sin, he paid the price for our freedom completely and he declared us as de facto, as in fact. Has your day of sonship arrived for you? Have you come to that day where you've asked Jesus Christ, Lord, I want to come into your family. I want to be adopted by you, Lord. Or are you still having to keep the law perfectly and being condemned for it? And that's not all. Look at verse 6. God didn't just bring us in as adopted sons. He sent forth another person of the Trinity. Do you see all three of the persons of the Trinity are involved in your salvation, in your being saved? God himself is the Father who sends out. The Son who was sent out from the Father. And now God sends forth what? God sends forth who rather? The Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba Father. That moment you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into your life is the moment God sends forth His Spirit and His Spirit comes and lives inside of you. Is that an amazing thing? God living in us, around us. God with us. 
And so our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. The Aramaic term for Father was Abba, Daddy. You see, it's a term which is not formal. It is a term which is intimate and yet formal. Because we recognize who my Father is. And so it's not just a flippant Daddy. It's a, it's a Dad. My, my Father cares for me. But we are intimate. You see the difference? He sends His Spirit into our hearts to cry, Abba, Father. The third person of the Trinity is sent out from God in the same way He sent out His Son. It's part of the mission to you and I. And that part of the mission is to empower us for what He has for you and I. And therefore, we have verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're son, then an heir through God. How is that for even more? So, He makes you His son. He puts His spirit inside of you. And then He says, you are now my heir. There's more to come, you see. We are going to inherit as well. With Jesus Christ, says Paul, we are co-heirs with Him. Just look at what you were. Think back a little bit as we come up to this time of Christmas. If you're a believer here today, think of where you were. You were a slave to sin. Then Jesus Christ came along on His mission. And He chased you through the darkness and He grabbed a hold of you as His Spirit was starting to work in your life. And there came a day when suddenly there was light in your life and you said, Lord, I need to be saved. I understand. I'm a sinner. I'm going to a condemnation of hell and eternal death without you. Save me. And that day when He saved you was the day you came of age in eternity. And He put His toga of His Son all over you. And He put His Spirit inside of you. You became a son of God with everything that entails. And then He said, and one day you will inherit as well. Do you get it? There's one, amen. One gets it. Excellent. Think back of the monkey story. Which side of that line are you this morning? Have you come to God and asked Him to forgive you? If not, you are like that monkey standing on the edge of the branch and life is going by you. Every single day is another chip out of that branch. You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ And be safe and be saved. You cannot be a Christian by being born into a Christian family. I'm sorry to tell you the bad news. It's a decision that has to come between you and God. He has to do the saving in you. There has to come a point in your life where you know that you're a sinner and that you need to be saved. It doesn't just automatically happen because you've been going to church your whole life. You need to be saved. There comes a day when you have to say, Lord, I bow my knee to you. You are God. I'm a mere man. Save me. Without you, I'm lost. And so you see, Christmas is so much more than Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus Christ, God's Son, God's chosen Redeemer, was sent out from God Himself at God's specifically appointed and prepared time in human history to come and free those who have been living under the slavery of the law, which was impossible to keep and who were condemned to a hopeless eternity. 
his act of paying the redemption price made it possible so that those who would accept his offer could be adopted into God's direct family with a special status of Son of God, which brings with it an eternal inheritance as heirs of God. I've just summed up Galatians. But isn't that true? So Christmas is so much more than Jesus is the reason for the season. There is the complicatedness that goes behind it. And as Christians, Christmas is so much more than just a baby born in a manger. It's so much more. We have the Spirit who has now been put into us so that we can live Spirit-energized lives for our Abba, our Father. So that we can have an intimate relationship with Him. So that we can have our confidence in Jesus Christ, not in our own abilities. So that we can live a lifestyle which shows and shines out Jesus Christ. So we can live a life which is powerful because the Spirit is working through us so that we can have a direction in life. God gives us that too. That's what Christmas is about. So simply put, the so what here is this, two points. Are you listening? Are you still tracking with me? Simply put, Jesus Christ came to offer you salvation. He came to offer you sonship as heir de facto, heir in practice. If you're not a believer here today, here is the gospel message coming out to you now. Are you listening? I'm asking you this morning, as you sit in front of me, have you taken up Jesus' offer of freedom? Or are you still holding back? Are you on the other side of the branch? Are you still in the control of your sin? Have you taken up his offer of adoption into his family? Or will you, after this morning, still remain in your condition as a slave to Satan and outside of God's family? That's the reality that God gives to us. Are you inside or outside of God's family? And then to those of you who are believers, this is for you, your little so what. Here it is. If you've been freed and if you've been adopted by God, and if you, if you are now an heir de facto, a son of God, ladies included, are you now living your life as your father's representative? You've got your father's toga on you. Do you live a life worthy of what you're wearing out there? Think of the driving. Think of the shoving for Christmas presents. Do you and I live our lives as worthy sons of God? The world can see. They see that you wear that toga. But are we living lives which match who we say we are? Are you living as a son of God in fact? Can the world see who you are representing through your very actions? Without you saying a word, can they see that Jesus Christ has saved you? Can they see, in other words, the fruits in your life? A reminder from the same book, Galatians chapter 5. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. What do your children see? I'm speaking to myself. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Yes, self-control too is there. 
even during the festivities of Christmas? Or do we kind of blend in this year and look like any other Kiwi celebrating happy holidays or the silly season? Who does the world say I am by the way I live? Who do my children say I am by the way I live before them? You see, it's impossible without God. We need that spirit inside of us making his word real so that we can live it out to the world around us. Because God shows himself through us. He shows himself to others in the world through us. They will know that you are Christians. How? How does a little song say? By your love. That's the toga. Jesus Christ working through you. Through his spirit. And so it's by God's grace in action that we can live lives worthy of him. To close this morning, I want to give you one of Paul's other statements interpreting this passage we've just read. This is what Paul says. Look at these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Let's pray. Lord, as we celebrate this Christmas, where it seems to be all about presents and rushing around and seeing all the food gets cooked and the family are arranged, Lord, may we stop. May we remember that it's all about you, Lord Jesus. May we spend the time with our children, with our family. May we speak out boldly and live out clearly that Jesus Christ lives. There is hope for those who are yet to hear this message. And may we be the ones who live out and speak out that hope this Christmas. Lord, help us to speak to one person this Christmas. And may they be saved. May the kingdom be extended. May your plan of salvation be glorified. We give you praise, but use us through your Spirit to do your work. Amen. There can only be one response to God's word, and that's this one.